finish off our series on Malachi today, and uh, it's interesting as we're going to read basically the last chapter, Malachi 4, which is very sort of short, but it has a really terrible ending, I guess, in in many ways. Um, If if you think about, as we've been talking, this is the last prophetic word that is being released to the people, Uh, and for 400 years, there's nothing, and, you know, it's sort of like, like I said before, the last words that someone says, they're sort of stick in your memory, don't they? You know, like, there might be someone that you've lost that you've loved and you're like, oh, what was the last things we talked about? It's something that you off- often think about, you go, go back to, you know, that time when something was said. Um, and, and the last words we're going to read in this chapter is, is a little bit disturbing in some ways if you're, if you're not listening to what the prophet is actually saying because it, it's sort of scary, and in fact, it's that scary that um, the, the Jewish leaders used to change the verses around so it didn't end on this verse. So they'd move that to the verse forward. Um, and even in the translation, when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, they did the same thing. They sort of moved it up, actually two verses, I think, in that, in that case. They swapped them around in, in how they... Uh, were presented because they looked at it and were like, well, we don't really want to end on this. You know, this is a terrible ending for us to have. At the end of our covenant uh, messages from God. Um, and so let's read it and see how it ends, eh? All right, so Malachi chapter 4. The Lord of heaven's armies says the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant... And the wicked will be burned up like straw, they will be consumed, roots, branches and all. But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Next one. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's army. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. And look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's a pretty harsh word at the end of that, isn't it? Like, can you imagine reading all of this and then you're like, oh... What's God saying? He's going to come and and curse the land. That's a pretty dramatic end if you think about it. And what what we can do is concentrate on that. But we're going to sort of rewind a little bit in those passages and and have a look what this really means to us. The first thing to remember is this, that God is talking to this people and, and we talked about the remnant of people last week that were still faithful to God, still following what God had said. But it just seems like sometimes that the wicked people, they're prospering and it almost comes to that point. And I would say most Christians sort of sometimes come to this question in their heart, what's the point? What's the point of serving the Lord? Look at all the wicked people, they're going all right, they've got lots of money, everything seems to be good for them. But as the prophet is rolling out this word, he's saying, guys, remember this. There's a day when God will make all things right. All the wrong will be made right, and there will be reward for those who are faithful to him. We we might even say the good people, but 
you know, are we really good? I'm not sure. But sometimes there's this times that, that come to our life where, where we look around and, and maybe even today is one of those days and no doubt it goes through all dispensations of time that we look around and we think, what's going on? What's going on? The people of God don't seem to be doing that well. The people of God seem a little bit discouraged. The people of God seem a little bit under the pump right now. Everything's against them and, and you start to despair. You start to think, what is the point? Can we survive? Can we keep going the way we're going? Is, is, there, a, is there actually a day of salvation coming? The first thing that we need to remember that is this, that yes, there is. There's a day when God's coming back. Jesus is coming back to this earth to establish his kingdom on earth in a different way to what it is now. But God is not going to let things continue forever. There is an appointed time with God. And I would have a, like in my heart, I'm like, well, when is that going to be? And it almost seems to me that it's that point where everyone's made a decision. I'm with him or I'm against him. Because we know that God's only delaying the coming of Christ for this one reason, that God doesn't want anyone to perish. That's what he says. He says, God wants to give everyone a chance to be saved. That's the only reason that he ever delays the coming of Jesus Christ. But God overlooks that. And he sees what's going on in the world. He sees what's happening. And he sees the hearts of people far, far more clarity than we have. Because he knows the hearts of every person. And there will be that time when he comes back. And it says that those that fear the Lord will be saved. Those that respect, honour and love the Lord that have given themselves to him, they will be saved. In the passage here, it talks about something called the Son of Righteousness. The Son of Righteousness will rise. And that's spelled S-U-N, not S-O-N. However, it is talking about Jesus Christ. And so through this last little chapter of the book, there's this promise of the coming of the Messiah. Something amazing was going to happen, that, that the Son of Righteousness was going to be raised up, and there's something amazing about this Son of Righteousness. As it shines upon the world, it says that there is healing in his wings. There is something about Jesus Christ that brings a healing to the earth. Now, all of those who have, have been saved here today, everyone who's named the name of Jesus Christ, that believes in him as their saviour, would have experienced that. The first thing that you experience is this, that Jesus Christ healed you from your sinful nature. The way that you acted, the, the heaviness of sin that was on your life, when you completely gave your life to him, the son of righteousness, you could even put S-O-N if you wanted to, but he became sin for us, so that we could be righteous. He took our sin so that we could be clean. He took our, everything that we'd done against God, the, the hate towards God really by the way we lived our lives, and, and as Ben said this morning, he became that perfect sacrifice for us and we were forgiven of our sins. And so our soul began to get healed. We became the people that, that we should have been, the people that are now moved from darkness to light, from death to life that now have this hope inside of us that can see differently than what we did before, where sin no longer has control over us, but now righteousness comes out through us as the love of God works in us. But that healing 
is meant to lead to a wholeness in earth. And we know that the earth is broken. It's no good without Jesus Christ. It can appear to be good quite often. But behind it all, there's this selfishness, there's this broken relationship with God. And as soon as that is broken, everything else suffers. We know that, don't we? We know that in our own lives, when we are disobedient to Christ, when we walk away from him, what does it feel like? Even as Christians, even as those who have been born again, that we have the righteousness of God in us, we can walk away and and live differently to what God wants us to live. And inside of us, there's this sorrow, there's this brokenness that happens inside of us. And the biggest thing that Ben talked about this morning, love, love, that our hearts really and truly lack the way to love, the way God loves us. We have a lack in our lives and, and it's, it's amazing how we think of love. You see, brokenness or, or um, unwholeness that's in our lives, we often think of love like, you know, God's love is towards you, so when you know, you're, you're sad, God loves you. When there's problems in your life, God loves you. It's all right, he will, he will work a way to make it better. But I want, to he- I want to be here to tell you this morning that love is a two-edged sword as well. The Word of God is sharp on both sides. You see, there is that love that, that leads us to, to comfort, to hope, to joy. But you know what else happens when love comes into our hearts? Love challenges our anger towards others. Love challenges the way we gossip and talk about people. Love challenges the way that we think. Love is not just there to cuddle us. Love is there to show us that you are broken in so many ways and without God's love, you will be that angry person. Without God's love working in your life, you will be that hateful person. Without God's love in your life, you will hold unforgiveness. Without God's love in your life, you'll be lost. Because we always want to hear about that love of God that that comforts and doesn't challenge. But, But the love of God, the only way to bring wholeness is to actually transform who we are, the way we live, the way we act, the way we think, the way we speak. And the love of God obviously thinks the best of every person. The love of God is not selfish. And so I just want us to think about that in regard to this. As the Son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings, there are things in our life that need healing that aren't brokenness in terms of we have been a victim. But there's brokenness in that we have been the offender. There's brokenness that we have been the one who has acted in spite and we need to change. God's love is so powerful that it not only comforts those who are brokenhearted, but it also challenges the ones that broke the heart. And as Christians, as we walk our life, I want you to think about that because we can always talk about the love of God in terms of he forgives our sins. Yes, he does. But the love of God also challenges us to say, are you really living a godly life? Are you really living the way that God wants you to live or are you following after your own pattern, doing whatever you want? And so there's this this setting forth that 
that there's this person coming, the son of righteousness, that is going to rise and is going to bring healing in his wings. It's going to be that sin's power would be broken. This chapter is about hope. Sin's power is broken and there's a wholeness and there's a joy coming as this son of righteousness comes to the earth. And aren't we just so grateful that in John 1, 17, it talks about Jesus bringing grace and truth while Moses brought the law. But it's also saying before Jesus comes, there's going to be this prophet come before him, Elijah the prophet. Now, what does that mean? Figuratively, it is John the Baptist, the one who came before Jesus, the one who said, I'm not worthy to unbuckle the sandals on his feet. I'm not worthy of being before him. I'm baptizing with water, but the one who comes after me, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that hasn't been fully fulfilled yet because there is another day coming when Jesus comes back and that message is, is sent out again. And it may be that Elijah and Moses are the witnesses that are mentioned in Revelation that, that bring forward this message of what is going to happen. Do you know how powerful this prophecy was? At the Passover, the Jewish people would always have an empty seat. So they'd be sitting around as a family having a meal and there's an empty seat. I remember, um, you know, sometimes as a kid you'd go to people's houses and sometimes they'd have an empty seat at the table and they'd say, that's for the unseen guest. Did anyone ever experience that? Maybe it was only me around these people. But what was the unseen guest at their table? Jesus. They're saying there's someone here amongst us who we can't see. But the Jewish people actually left it vacant. So just in case Elijah came that night, on that night of that Passover, and he needed to come and tell them the Messiah is here. But John the Baptist was that Elijah and he announced the, the Saviour is here, the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He declared him to be the Messiah, Jesus. And he came. It's so powerful. We were, we were talking about it in our connect group. Why did Jesus have to come as a man? Why did he have to come as a man? There's, there's some amazing reasons for it, but one of them is this. God cannot sin, correct? God cannot even be tempted to sin. There's nothing within God in heaven, the spirit God, that can be tempted Jesus had to come as a man to overcome sin. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way as he were. Now, if it came as God, there would be no temptation. Sin would never be overcome because sin wouldn't exist in that life. It could only be destroyed, not overcome. It says, but Jesus came and he faced all those temptations. And even though he had them, he was without sin. Not once did he sin against God. He had to be able to overcome as a human. Why? Because he is representing mankind to God. He is the sacrifice of man to God. He's the one who God did the deal with. He's the one who stood before God on behalf of all of us and said, I overcame sin. I'm that perfect sacrifice before you. And because I've done that, 
All those who believe in me shall follow into that. It's amazing, isn't it? That's why he had to come down as a man to face sin in its reality. Do you know what that means? That Jesus could have sinned if he wished to. He never did wish to. It's such a, a thing that goes around in our mind, but he never, he never sinned, but he actually did face temptation. Sin had to be defeated. Sin had to be overcome. And because of that, each one of us now can walk into that everlasting life because Jesus has done this deal with God, the Father, on our behalf. Which is why it is so important that we're in Christ because if we're not in Christ, we're not part of that new covenant with him. The covenant of grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Jesus was coming that is what this verse is saying. Jesus is coming. He's going to change things. He's going to heal the nation. You're looking around at, at the worshippers in the temple at the moment and you're seeing their hearts far from God. But Jesus is coming. What an amazing prophecy. Not just that about Elijah coming before Christ, but it says that he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Don't we need that? Now, I know it talks about this in two ways, really. One is that God wants to bring peace to families. He wants to change hearts where, where people are not in conflict all the time. Absolutely, 100%. But the other side of this is, as it's talking to the Jewish nation, is he wants to turn the heart of who's here right now, not worshipping in spirit, not worshipping in truth, not understanding a covenant of grace, and of faith, because you are under the law of Moses trying to obey the law, I want to turn the heart of you people back to Abraham. The initial man that God made the covenant with. God made the covenant with Abraham before the law of Moses existed, before the rules and regulations to, to try and keep us on the right track existed. And Abraham was counted as righteousness because of his faith in God. And what this is saying is that I want to establish something so different to what you have got now that actually goes back to that of the fathers of faith, of Noah, of Enoch, of Abraham, of Moses himself, this understanding of who I am, this knowledge of who I am as God that is not bound up in the regulations that you're trying to follow. Freedom. Freedom. And the message was this, that you're not going to be bound by law anymore. But there is grace coming and truth through Jesus Christ. And for us, it's exactly the same today. Have we slipped? Have we gone away from the heart of true worshippers to follow that of rules and regulations? We've been talking about this time and time again as, as we read through this book that really focuses on that. The true worshippers who worship God in spirit and in truth. They don't worship him in a place. They don't worship him on a particular mountain. But their hearts have become the mountain of God. Their hearts have become connected with his purpose. Their hearts have become connected by faith 
with a heavenly Father who loves and cares for them. The true worshippers. So here we are. Can you just bring up that last slide again, please, Joe? Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. It's actually not a pronouncement that I am going to curse the land, really. Because there's a special word in there that, that is pretty important the otherwise word. If it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for John the Baptist preparing the way, a curse would have come. But instead of that, Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life as the God-man, died a criminal's death on the cross, was beaten and wounded for us, for our health, our mental anguish, our sin, our anxieties, our cares. He was beaten and bruised for those and a crown of thorns thrust upon his head. He hung up and was mocked by soldiers, mocked by people, mocked by criminals. And yet at all that time, he never sinned. He never tried to get them back. In fact, the words that Jesus uttered on that cross were this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that otherwise word is so powerful because what it's saying is, if it wasn't for Jesus, the world is doomed. If it wasn't for Jesus, this whole earth will be cursed. But the ending of this book is such an ending of hope to say to these people at that time, you know what, this is the outcome if I do not step in and act. And he did step in and act. He stepped in actually before the world was ever made. He said before the foundation of the earth, he'd already made the way for Jesus to come. He knew what would happen to us. He knew that if we were given the choice of good and evil, eventually we'd choose evil. Eventually we'd fall away from him in our own human nature. And so he put in place this plan to send his son Jesus Christ to die for us because he knew the only way that we could actually live the way that he planned for us to live in that relationship with Jesus Christ and with the Heavenly Father was to actually make a way for us to do it. But what happens when we make the choice? It's not we're just choosing between good and bad. We are choosing to let God into our life and actually change our nature. If that didn't happen, guess what would happen again? If God did not give us this new birth and, and create in us this new person, what would happen again? We'd just choose bad again. It's the easy path. It's very easy to be selfish. I don't know if you've noticed that. 
It's like actually not that difficult. <laughs> I can choose to be selfish so easily. I can choose to follow the wrong way so easily because it comes so easily, doesn't it? But no, God said, I'm not giving you another choice between right and wrong. He's saying, yep, continue to follow the law of Moses as we read through that passage. But that's not the choice he's giving us. It's a choice between a new nature created after Christ Jesus or to stay trapped where we are. And this morning, I don't know where every heart lies in this place. I know there's some that believe on Jesus Christ. They know what it's like to have this new nature and to have forgiveness of sin, to have healing of their soul. Perhaps this morning, you're sitting there and you're saying, I've never accepted Jesus. I never accepted Jesus and I do struggle. I do find it easy to, to do the wrong thing and I, I seem to be battling it. That's because you're trying to do it on your own strength the only way is to surrender to him there is no other way the only way to eternal life is through jesus christ the son not through positive affirmation not through anything else but just acknowledging that you need him in your life and then committing your life to him Jesus died for you so that you could have eternal life. And it's a gift, a free gift. We all need it. We all need it. So this morning, I just want to pray with you out there. And as I pray, this is especially for those who have never accepted Jesus into their life. You see, God's last word to his people for 400 years was that he was sending a saviour. We are honoured to be able to look back to the day when Jesus died for our sin and set us free. If this morning you're feeling like, I know I need Jesus, you can feel it on the inside. You know you need to make a commitment to him. I'm going to pray and I want you to pray with me and, and just ask him into your life. Ask him to forgive your sin. After that, you really need to talk to the friend you came with. You really need to talk to the family member you're with. If, it's your, if you're a, a child, to your mum and dad. If you're a parent, to your kids that are Christians. Let them know you prayed this prayer, that, that you want to walk in the way of Christ and let him fill you. And let them help you grow in your faith. Let's pray. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me. Father God, I'm so sorry that I have missed it by not being your friend, by living separately to you, by following my own desires. This morning I'm just asking for you to forgive me. I want you to come into my life from this day on. I want to live for you. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit so that I can live the life that I'm meant to live, to be whole and free and well to get rid of my anxiety to to heal me of my sickness my disease to to take away the weight of sin in my life in the name of Jesus
Let's stand and sing. And perhaps this morning, as you've been listening, you felt that you're actually not walking in God's love, in ter- not in terms of the comfort, but in the term of comforting others. That you haven't let the love of God actually rule your life yet. Um, as you're singing this morning, I just want to ask you to just really commit those things to God. Just say, God, fill me with your love. Fill me with your love. That's what this song is all about, God's love towards us. So maybe it is that you need comfort this morning. You can sing exactly the same song. Fill me with your love. Let him fill you and comfort you. Make a commitment today to live for Jesus. Make a commitment to follow him wholeheartedly. Make a commitment that your heart becomes the mountain where you worship 